Hey, murder lovers. My name is Mackenzie. This is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. That was so soothing. It's like, we're here. We're relaxed. We're ready to do this. <laughs> relaxed and... <laughs> uh, Take a deep breath. This is our zen time to talk about murder. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what you're doing today. So I am doing a listener recommendation that came to us via Patreon. Nice. Um, So I will read the email that we got. This episode is brought to you by... By Gavin. Hi, Gavin. So Gavin emailed us and said, Hey, Mackenzie and Fatina, quick note to tell you both how much I love your podcast. Thanks. Thank you. By far my favorite true crime show. Been listening for weeks, but signed up for Patreon last week to show some appreciation. I just, I love every line of this. (laughs) Yeah, let's frame it. (laughs) If I can make a suggestion, I lived in Scotland for the first 38 years of my life before moving to Michigan, and a Scottish true crime story of my generation is the Luke Mitchell and Jody Jones case. I think you'd find it interesting from a media reaction perspective, plus there are aspects of supposed Satanism and incest and question marks to this day. Worth checking out. Anyways, love the show. Keep up the amazing work and have a great day. Gavin. Okay, yeah, let's print that and frame it, please. Super cute. Yeah, love it. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. Um, so this is the story of Jody Jones and Luke Mitchell. The story takes place in Dalkeith, Scotland. That's how I think it's pronounced. I'm pretty sure. It sounds better coming with a Scottish accent, but I don't have I that. No. So <laughs> anyway. We have a lot of Scottish listeners. I love this. I know. And they say things so much cooler than me, <laughs> including the word Dalkeith, apparently. So, Jody and Mitchell were 14 years old when they began dating. Um, they had similar tastes and aesthetics, if you will. So, they were into the baggy, dark clothes. They mm. had similar music tastes. They were kind of, like, in the goth era, like grungy, if you goth, will. yeah. Yeah. And our story takes place in 2003. So, that's important to note because if yeah. you remember the goth fashion of 2003, a lot of you are going, oh. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was in high school yeah. during that time. and Yeah. yeah. Totally. Um, this would have been, like, right on the tail end of Good Charlotte becoming fa- popular and then, like, phasing out. Mm. Like, they were popular before this, but we we're coming to the end of the Good Charlotte era, I I'm feel like. I'm thinking, like, ICP stuff. I have no idea what that is. Insane Clown Posse? Oh. That <laughs> was sorry. not I anything that. that I'm familiar with. Um, yeah. A little outside of my... Yeah. A little bit. A lot of my, not my vibe. I was in high school before you, so. <laughs> true. Also true. Um, let's see. Okay, so they attended St. David's Roman Catholic High School together. She was rebellious. I wouldn't really define her as a girly girl in any way, shape, or form. She was into horror movies and heavy metal, and uh, she had, like, the... Dark and twisty? Yeah, she was dark and twisty, chains and loose jeans but crop tops and dark lipstick and hair that she wanted to be in dreads but it wasn't in dreads because she just you know it's just ratty yeah okay basically exactly but as far as like what's known about her as a person there's not a lot of information out there it like kind of goes straight to she was 14 years old and she was dating this guy and then this is what happened so i didn't find a whole lot of the light up the room narratives or anything like that (laughs) It was more like she was shy, but not awkward. And she was into this stuff, but it didn't consume her. But she was rebelling, but, like, her mom was trying to get it under control. So it was, like, this weird balancing act of, like... Teenager-ish. Who she could have turned into versus, like, just, like, exploring the edge of it, if you will. Okay. Um, 
mom, like I said, mom was trying to get it under control. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Like she didn't have time to take it. Dipping her toes in the water. Yeah, dipping the toes. (laughs) Her path could have gone many ways. Yeah. But her mom was like, yeah, no, not loving this. (laughs) Not loving this look or this attitude and not loving the guy. So her mom put like a curfew in place and she was trying to kind of shut down that relationship. Okay. Good for mom. But literally the night her mom lifted the curfew. Oh, no. Jody decided she was going to go meet up with her boyfriend, Luke Mitchell. Now, Luke Mitchell, he grew up a relatively normal life. His parents did divorce when he was 11 years old, but he's described as having a very good life. He was into horseback riding and they said motorbikes, which I'm like, is that motorcycles or dirt bikes? Like motocross? I think dirt bikes. I'm thinking motocross. Okay, yeah, yeah. type thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like jumping off of dirt piles. Totally. Yeah. But as he got older, he got into kind of more of the darker aesthetic. Dark and twisty. <laughs> Again, I, I'm only going with aesthetic here. I don't know. Yeah, he um, he had a, uh, I'd describe it as a chin piercing. It's not a what chin it is, I know, I know it's not. I know it's not a actually your chin. A bottom lip piercing? But it's like, it's not actually like the lip. It's below the lip, like right where yeah. the chin meets the, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. You guys... I know what you're talking yeah. about. I had one to the side here. Yeah, he had one, yeah. like, right down here. I mean, it's it's not your lip at that point. Like, we're at the very bottom of your gums, if sure. you will. gotcha. Um, but he had a piercing there. He had um, long hair, kind of a greasier look, if you will. Again, was very into kind of, like... Disheveled look? E- like, needs a shower type look. <laughs> No shade, but... Like, probably did take showers, but he was going for the, I need a shower look. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As he got older, he became a little bit darker. Uh, He got kind of into the occult and what is being described as Satanism, because he was kind of known to write about Satan on his notebooks, and he had, like, 666, and he would write 666 on his arm and all that kind of stuff, but, like... It's more like the dumb teenager, I think this is cool type things. Like, this makes me edgy. Not like he's sacrificing animals. Okay. You know? That's good. So Better, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So he was kind of uh, known for being the the group drug dealer, if you will. (laughs) Okay. Supply and demand. At that (laughs) age... Everybody wants a little weed. So he was the weed supplier, Okay, basically. just weed. Okay. Yeah, so he was supplying weed to... It's funny, because in, like, all of the uh, documentaries that I watched and everything, they referred to him as, like, a dope smoker and a dope kid or whatever. <laughs> and I was like, in America, dope means something else. Yes. But they were talking about weed. So he was a supplier of weed to his friends and also Jody. Okay. And himself. Um, and was known to, like basically carry around a knife so he could cut up his weed and roll a joint at any given time and was like going through literally ounces a day of weed damn yeah he was you don't need a knife to cut up your weed though i think he maybe it was like using the butt end of it to oh because you have a thing. grinder or something. yeah exactly mm, okay so he was still like a good student he was known to like do well in school But, obviously, like, people had concerns about him because he didn't really fit in with this Roman Catholic church by any means. Yeah. You know, the gothic kid. And he made no bones about it. And um, there was also some concerns because they were very young, 14. They were sexually active. 
at this point. So they yeah. started their relationship. At this point, they had been dating five months. They're sexually active at this point. And Luke was also sexually active with other girls. Oh. So, yeah, he's pretty young to be out there, like, yeah. bopping and bopping around. But he That's was. super young. Yeah. So. It's also on, young to be selling weed at school, but. I, yeah. He says, I'm an entrepreneur. Thank you. <laughs> so on Monday, June 30th of 2003, mom had just lifted the curfew. And Jody's like, first thing I'm going to go do is go meet up with Luke. And so she texts him around 4.30, basically, and makes plans to go meet him at kind of like a halfway point between their houses. So they're in, they're in neighboring neighborhoods, if you will. Yep. And between the neighborhoods is this kind of forested area that has walking paths through it. So the shortcut to get to each other's neighborhood is to walk through this forested area. So they would either meet halfway in there or on one end of it or something like that and then make the rest of the walk together. So she goes and leaves to meet up with him right before 5 p.m. but never arrives. And the family, her family, realizes by 10 p.m. she hasn't come home and nobody has seen her or heard from her since she left the house. So they start a search party and start in the woods between the two neighborhoods. That's pretty proactive. Yeah. pretty quick. Pretty quick. What I haven't been able to figure out is what exactly his excuse was for not notifying anybody or if he even did that she never showed up to meet him. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. Oh. So I haven't found any account of that, that he was like, where is she or what, like, Because you know. this is 2003, so yeah, cell and they phones were, are scarce they, still. But they were texting before this. Oh, they so found messages between them. Okay. Yes. So. Those are 25 cents a text text. <laughs> yeah, those are the brick phones <laughs> right. back in that point. So. She doesn't show up. I don't have any account of him telling anybody, saying anything, or notifying anybody until basically he finds out from her family that she's missing and decides to join their search party. Okay. So he's like, cool, I'll meet you guys by the woods or whatever. So they get to the woods about 10.30 p.m. and they're walking the path that cuts through the woods. And now in the woods is a big stone wall that used to be part of some type of building, but is no longer. It's kind of deteriorated with time. And it's like the stone wall has deteriorated, but it has some structure, some structure of where windows should be. But there's like no window panes or anything like that. And some of the bricks have kind of crumbled in. So it's like leaves like a deep V in the middle of the wall. So that sits in there. And he just so happens to be the one who he's walking. He's brought his dog, who's a German shepherd. And I read somewhere that she was trained for tracking, but I only read that in one place and nowhere else could, like, verify Mm. that she was trained for tracking. And I can't figure out what a tracking dog would be doing with this family in particular. Um, Yeah. That struck me as a little odd. So I'm thinking that's not the case. Maybe the dog caught on to a scent, but not necessarily a tracking dog. Yeah. So, anyway, he says that the dog dragged him in that direction of the wall, which prompts him to then look over the wall and say, announce that he's found something. Oh, shit. Now, her sister and her sister's boyfriend were with him, as well as one other person. And the boyfriend of the sister goes over the wall and confirms that it is indeed Jody that has been found. Oh, my God. So... 
she is found beaten with hair missing straight from the root. Oh my God. She's been strangled and her throat has been cut between 12 and 20 times. What? She has massive injuries to the stomach and her left breast. And she's cut from her mouth, uh, on her face from her mouth to ear (gasps) on one side. The cuts across her throat were so extensive that she was basically virtually decapitated. Oh my gosh. And her hands were tied behind her back. Wow. Yeah, and her clothes were kind of strewn about. Obviously, her hair is a mess, and that's important to note. Like, clothes are kind of scattered everywhere um, and not fully intact. And her hair is obviously a mess and everything. So it's not totally clear what she was wearing or looked like when she left the house that night. Oh, okay, okay. But it just looks like a disaster zone. Wow. Yeah, so she's been very violently attacked. Right. And this goes without saying that obviously she didn't survive. Um, So... On a tree near the scene of the crime, there are initials LM and JJ carved into Uh-oh. the tree, which is Luke Mitchell and Jody Jones. Yeah. Not super surprising because they had gone back and forth there sure. from time to time, but it was interesting. Right. So Luke and the entire search party are brought in for questioning, but he is separated from the three other people he was with. They are allowed to stay together and just kind of like be together for questioning but he's isolated from them so immediately he's like huh like why am i being singled out here and then his mom later comes in and realizes that the tape that's being used to record her interview says witness and the tape being used to record his interview says suspect oh so like right away they were like lines are drawn yeah we gotta we gotta check on this guy well i mean it's Boy, you're supposed to go see, so yeah. Yeah. But the police said they zeroed in on him because they said it was odd that he seemed to know exactly where to find her. Mm. And they were like, based on like that wall being up and blocking them, you would have had to know to look there. Got it. But I also go, if there's a wall blocking my view and I'm looking for somebody, I'm going to look behind the wall. That's also And if you're not looking behind the wall, then what? why bother searching? You're not really looking, right. Seems pretty obvious to me. But anyway, um, they also found it odd that he was able to describe exactly what she was wearing right down to the scrunchie in her hair. Even though she wasn't actively wearing those clothes when he found her. And it wasn't obvious that she had her hair pulled up in a ponytail with a scrunchie on it when she left the house because of the state that she was found in. And supposedly he hadn't seen her. Right. Prior to being attacked. So he wouldn't know that she had worn her hair up in a ponytail with that specific scrunchie. And he wouldn't know the clothes that she was wearing when she left the house. Unless he's really sat there and took time to take note of everything that was found around her. And it's important to note that she was wearing something different than what she had worn to school that day. I was going to ask, did he see her at school that day? No, she had changed at that point. So they were like, this is all feeling a little odd. Yeah, it's at the very least odd. Yeah. They also found out that two days after the murder, he rented a Marilyn Manson DVD that depicted Marilyn Manson tying girls up and various states of kidnapping. Super, yeah. like, Marilyn Manson. Like, yeah. hate the guy. Yeah. Hate him. When he came up in the Donny- Johnny Depp trial, I was like, oh, they got me there because I hate him. <laughs> I hate him so much. <laughs> um, But they just found it 
odd considering all of the violence that his girlfriend had just endured that he would be sitting there watching other girls be tied up. This was two days after? After. Ooh, yeah, that yeah, is, they that were is like, weird. Mm, don't love that. So they did a search of his house, and they found that he had some interesting things, but was <laughs> missing some interesting things. Okay. So among the things that they found in his house were jars of urine That's that he gross. was collecting. That's 100% gross. <laughs> Nasty. Yeah. Um, but they were specifically looking for his knives. So he was known to have an affinity for knives. Mm. And so they were kind of taking inventory of his knives, and one in particular was missing, and it was a four-inch skunt. They said it was a skunting knife. Okay. It basically looks like a pocket knife. Okay. And it was not found there. So they were like, hey, Luke, where's your knife? That's weird that they, I mean, is it part of a collection? No, not necessarily. Well, not a collection of knives from that specific manufacturer. Like a set. It's not a set. Right. No. Okay. But it was one that he was known to have frequently. Gotcha. Okay. So that's missing. And they're like, hey, where's your knife? Where's your skunting knife? And he's like, I don't know. Okay. Can't explain where it is. Doesn't know where he lost it. Doesn't know anything about that. Um, now, it's important to note that later uh, they did a second search and they were able to find the case basically it's like a leather case that you okay. put it in so they did find that for it and on the case oh no it had 666 oh okay written into it as well as jj 1989 through 2003 oh no. which are jody's initials and also her birth year and death year and they were like uh -oh. I feel like it's weird to memorialize your girlfriend who was stabbed to death, because she also had stab wounds on her, stabbed and practically decapitated by a knife with, with a, a knife. knife. Not loving that. No. And he's just like, it didn't feel weird to me. Oh, dude. You know it's weird. Also on the uh, the little case thing was a quote by Nirvana that said, the finest day I ever had was when tomorrow never came. Uh, that's dark and twisty for Red flag. sure. Red flag. Yeah. So he was never able to come up with a reason for the missing knife. Now, there were also witnesses who said, there were a few different witnesses that came forward. There were witnesses that said that they saw Jody and, or a woman that looked like Jody and matched Jody's description with a man that looked like, and boy, yeah, a boy that looked like Luke that uh, they were at the end of the trail basically smoking weed together. Okay, like towards his house or yeah. towards her house? I think it was towards his house. Okay. But said that basically he'd seen them together and they were at the end of the trail and they were smoking weed together. And so, like, like they had checks. met up. And uh. he was wearing a very distinct coat. So they described this coat that he was wearing and they were like, yes, he has a coat that looks like that. Let's find it in this search. In the house? In the house. Okay. Can't find the coat. So they were like... Luke, where where is this coat? It's like supposed to be like kind of a parka type thing. And he's like, You mean a trench coat? <laughs> no, a parka's more like like a puffy coat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was kind of described as like leatherish. So it was like puffy, almost like a bomber jacket, I want to say. Got it. I believe. I was again, you, I'm piecing things together when you here. You said leathery and puffy. I was like, like Michelin type no, jacket? Not quite, no. <laughs> Um, so they try and find this, that's one of the items that they're looking for in the house. Of course. They aren't able to find the coat. 
interestingly enough, mom goes out and buys him a nearly identical one. Oh, mom. And they're like, why'd you do that? And she's like, well, he loved his coat and he doesn't know what he did with it. Like, he lost it. So Ooh. I'm just trying to get him a new one. And they're like, well, what happened to your coat? And he's like, I don't know. Still has no explanation what happened to his coat. And so they check, they have a garden incinerator in yeah. their backyard. Uh-huh. So they check that for signs of like burned clothing because yep. a neighbor says that on the night of the murders, the incinerator is going and they say they smell a weird smell. But other neighbors say they didn't really smell anything that uh, out of the ordinary. There's a lot of like conflicting. That's weird. Information well, witnesses here. are weird. Yeah. They can't be. I, I would find an incinerator smell weird in general. But I'm in the USA. Like, that's not a normal thing to have a garden right. incinerator. no. So they don't find any evidence in the incinerator that any clothing has been burned. So that's right. inconclusive. But the theory is, is that he may have put his clothes in there and burned them to get rid of them. Because his coat was never found. And he convenient. never, yeah, yeah, never was able to offer an explanation as to what happened to it. The other thing that then later came up is a witness came forward and said that they went to school together and... Prior to the murder, he had told him while he, Luke had told him while he was smoking weed that he could imagine getting really stoned and killing somebody. Oh, no. And his friend was like, that's kind of weird. And he said that he knew the best way to slit somebody's throat. (gasps) No. Yeah. So odd. Yeah. Yeah. Odd. Um, Additionally, they found that Luke had called a speaking clock service. What is that? To get the time at 4.54 p.m. So basically it's information and you call them and it will tell you the time it is. Which I was like, but he had a cell phone. phone. It doesn't have a clock on it, but maybe his didn't have a clock on it for some reason. Maybe it was like. I don't know that cell phones never. No, they definitely didn't have clocks. Really? Yeah, they definitely. Like the chunky ones didn't have clocks on them. It would tell you on the corner what time it was. No, even further back than that, they had cell phones that didn't tell you what time it was. That's the ones with the antenna. Well, I mean, he didn't have that at this time. Yeah. That's just bizarre. So, yeah, that he was calling for, for what time it was. And the detectives were like, well, if you were at home. And you have a clock in your house. Why would you be calling looking uh-huh. for the time? Good detective work. Yeah. What um, do you say? <laughs> wasn't really able to give an explanation on that. So they, in their search, one of the things that they did find, along with the urine, were a bunch of his notebooks from school. And on his notebooks, he had written a bunch of things to, like, worshiping Satan. And, like, we sacrificed the Satan and 666 and I love Satan or whatever. <laughs> it's, that's not verbatim. But it's a lot of, like, it's a lot of quotes and a lot of, like, you know, inverted crosses. I and love Satan. Satan was written with the S that's supposed to be like diamond shape. Oh, you know the one I'm talking it. about yeah. from the exactly. 90s, 2000s yeah. where you do like three lines in a row and then below that three more lines and then you connect all the lines it's to make it look like S. a... Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. love that letter. That's what it looked like. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. That's interesting. We all thought we were artists. Um, there was also a... Information that came out that he may have been obsessed with the Black Dahlia murders and, mm. or I'm sorry, oh, murder wait. of Elizabeth Short that happened in Los Angeles in 1947. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Black Dahlia murders, uh, this girl was basically found out in the lawn of a hotel. I think it was just a house. 
Yeah. Okay. So she's found out, and I this, Alan Alan is right. And basically, her she was severed in half across the torso, um, and gutted for lack of a better. Person. Wasn't she cut on her face though too? Yes, she was yeah. cut on her face. Like the lip to ear, right? Cut. Yeah. But there's not really anything that's like conclusively proves that he had an interest in the mm. Black Dahlia murders. And a uh, uh, expert was like, I can see like similarities but they're not it's not like a copycat or anything like that so but it was just something interesting to know that that had come up that he had a real interest in this case sure so um the family of jody obviously asked luke not to attend the funeral they and this is like he's at just this point under investigation and the media is taking it and running with it and they're like I'm not going to have our daughter's service turn into a circus for the media. So I don't know if you did it or didn't do it, but you're going to stay away. Yeah. That's a good call. So he decides that instead of going to the funeral, he is going to hold his own vigil at his house with his mom. Oh, no. And give an interview to the press and allow them to film him doing this vigil. And it's really like... Dining room table, lighting candles type thing. It was very weird and creepy. But this is where the incest thing comes into play. So he gives this interview. Yeah, remember in... um, I know, but what? Yeah. (laughs) In uh, Gavin's email, he said there's like incest things. I forgot that. I did not... So in the interview, um, he's sitting down with what the film crew or whatever, and his mom is sitting next to him. And she kind of puts her arm over his shoulders and then sits there and twirls his hair with her fingers. Yeah. Like, by his ear. And, like, rubs his ear with her fingers. And is, like, playing with his hair and his fingers and, like, running her fingers on his neck. It's super, super creepy. And, obviously, the media is, like... You're creeping me out. Yeah. So, like... (laughs) The creep vibes are so there, and the media instantly, like, picks it up and runs with it. And they're like, this family is freaking weird, dude. And they just... Yeah. They imply Mm. that there are some things going on, and the public is just getting the heebs from this family. I'm getting goosies from it. Yeah, it it was uncomfortable. It wasn't like... It wasn't like they were doing something that made me go incest, but it made me go... They don't inappropriate. It's weird boundaries. Inappropriate timing of nothing else. Inappropriate timing, but also like, (sighs) yeah, the boundary thing. Yeah, Yeah. it's just weird. And I know like different people show affection differently, but it was. You have a kid that's being like suspected of murder, and his mom sitting there playing. That is what I would do to my partner. Like the way she's touching his neck and his ear and his hair. But not even at that hair, time, though. Not at that time. Yeah. And like, if my significant other is being questioned about murder, I'm not going to be sitting there playing with his hair. But on a day to day, like that is something sure. that I would have done. But again, that's my partner, not my child. And so it gave me weird vibes. Oh, you just telling yeah. me about it? Is yeah. there a video of this? Yeah, and Ew. I watched it. It was really creepy. Oh. And it like zoomed in on her, like doing it, and I was like, ugh. <laughs> so. Everybody was just like, yeah, this family is weird. And honestly, I saw the mom interviewed and I was like, she's something weird. Off. Yeah, she is okay. weird. Um, so the media and the public became very convinced that it had to be him and the family was weird and everything like that. 
He tried to go back to school at one point, and the school was like, no, we can't have him attending, like, for safety purposes. Whether it was his or the students wasn't entirely clear. But they ended up losing that battle, and he had to come back to school. But then they basically, um, the school insisted on sequestering him and teaching him by himself. And Luke basically, after a couple months, was like, enough is enough. Like, I should be allowed to be with my peers and made, like, a big old thing about it and ended up getting himself suspended. Mm. Um, he was charged and arrested on April 14th of 2004, finally. So they ended up bringing oh. charges against him for murder, as well as all of the different charges of, like, how he basically mutilated her body and they also brought charges against him for selling and distributing weed <laughs> which i was like just in case that feels petty but okay so they ended up doing that um and he was like it couldn't have been me it couldn't have been me i was at home making dinner and my family will testify to that extent like they are my alibi and mom and his brother were like, yeah, yeah, he, he was at home and he was making dinner. In fact, his mom said that she came into the kitchen at 5.15 and saw him with his brother, quote, smashing taties, which <laughs> I messaged um, Anthea and was like, is that potatoes? But I just found out it's 3 a.m. her time, so she's not <laughs> responded to me yet. So you get a pass. <laughs> so it's fine. Just know that you really let me down as my UK correspondent, but it's okay. We Googled it, and it's potatoes. <laughs> we think. We think. <laughs> Please, Google, let this be right. It feels right to me. Smashing. Right. Tadies. Yeah, it has to be. I it mean, has to be. I might use if they come back now. Me, if they come back to me and they're like, <laughs> it means cauliflower. I'd be like, no, no, don't no. lie to me like that. No. Don't lie to me like that. We need to have a conversation yeah. if it's anything else. <laughs> And we um, need a Batman button that we can just push and then you yeah. get a phone. Yeah. And like, <laughs> hello, I need you to wake up and answer my <laughs> questions. Thank you so much. So, um... Wait, why was he home at 5.15? Because... So... Weren't they planning on meeting up? She said that they were planning on meeting up. She said uh, that she was going to meet up with him. Okay. Yeah. And so now that I'm looking back on it, I'm thinking like the messages that were being referred to might have been voicemails and not text messages. Because they, like, when I was reading about it, it was talking about like they started leaving messages for each other or started, there were messages between them as early as 4.34 that afternoon. And now I'm like, ooh, was it voicemails maybe? So it might have been voicemails. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I'm just so that, that together. If she left a message and left the house at 5, he might not have gotten it. Yeah. Okay. Or maybe they're supposed to meet up at, she left the house at 5, and they were supposed to meet up at 5.30, and at 5.15, he was still at home mashing up potatoes. Taties. Taties. Yep. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, so the timeline's weird there. Um, now, he ends up being brought up on charges anyway, obviously, and they present this alibi in court, but the, uh, his brother is brought up to testify, as far as this alibi goes, and admits that he is watching porn online during this time. Himself. Himself, the okay. brother. So he's mashing his own taties. He's doing something. <laughs> doing something. And so they were like, do you often watch porn with your family in the house? And he was like, no, I only would have done that if I thought I was home alone. Oh. And so they were like... Things? They were like, so it's safe to say that you thought you were home alone at this time? And he was like, yes. 
he was not with his brother. So he was like, no, I'm not going to be your alibi. Um, Side note, before I forget to circle around with it, mom is later brought up on perjury charges for the alibi situation. Yeah. But the charges are later dropped. Bigger fish to fry. Exactly. Um, There was male DNA found at the scene of the crime, but it didn't match Luke. What? Yes. Where are we going with this? I know. It did match David Kelly, who was Jody's sister's boyfriend. Jody's sister's boyfriend. Who was part of the search party. Oh. Oh. Yes. But the prosecution said that the sisters often exchanged clothing and shared clothing. So it wouldn't have been uncommon for the sister's boyfriend's DNA to be on something that Jody was wearing because they swapped items of clothing all the time. Okay. What kind of, was it like spit, semen? They didn't say. They said it was a full DNA profile that matched this guy. Oh, shit. And even if it was spit or semen, they would have said, well, yeah, that makes sense because he's with the sister. sister. Yeah. But it wasn't, there wasn't anything that indicated that her DNA was found on the clothing. The sister's DNA. Weird. Yeah, super weird. A used condom was also found close to the body that didn't match David. What? But didn't come back as a match to... Luke. Anybody that was a suspect, including Luke. Uh-oh. Yeah, so it could have been just somebody got down and dirty in the woods. I was going to say, maybe yeah. someone's using that house as a... Yeah. So, Backdrop this is like all over the romantic place. romantic night. <laughs> <laughs> so romantic. So, yeah, they presented the witness that basically said that they'd seen Luke outside of the woods or whatever. And they were like, uh, we have this theory that he incinerated his clothing after he murdered her and it was covered in blood and blah, blah, blah. But they never actually found any forensic evidence that conclusively tied Luke to the murders. It's all circumstantial. Yes. So the trial itself lasted 42 days. It was the longest and most expensive trial of a single suspect in Scottish history at that time. Wow. The jury deliberated deliberated for only five hours. Wow. And on January 21st of 2005, they found Luke guilty. That's... Of murder. More than I thought would happen. He was 16 years old at the time. And he was convicted to a minimum of 20 years without limit before being considered for parole. So this means that he's convicted to serve a minimum of 20 years. At that point, he becomes eligible for parole. But in order for him to be granted parole, he is going to have to take accountability for the murders, which he has said he will never do. And if he doesn't do that, he can serve the rest of his life in prison because it is without limits, which means that there is no end date. So Alfred Pleish. He'll say, I'll do it. No, not necessarily, because this happens with parole a lot, even in the United States. To be granted parole, a lot of times what they're looking for is that you are taking ownership of the crimes that you've committed and shown that you changed. Right. That you've been reformed, if you will. But you have to take ownership of it? Very often that's a requirement of parole. And in Scotland, that is the case. That is a requirement. Okay. Uh, Or at least... It's the expectation of something. It's very unlikely that somebody would be granted parole without actually saying, I did it. I did it in the 20 years I've done, did me well. Yeah, and I'm a new man and I've changed. Yeah, Yeah, I could see that. Wow. Yeah, different than Mm -hmm. be like winning on appeal or having a new trial or anything like that. Okay. Um, So yeah, he could be in prison for the rest of his life. All his attempts at appeal have failed at this point. 
Um, a BBC documentary later released that a student and what they described as a heavy drug user had turned in an essay about murdering a girl in the woods just weeks before the murder actually happened. Oh. And he was seen the day after the murder with heavy scratches on his face. But then it later came out that there was, like, a whole plot as far as, like, trying to throw... Um, basically, like, trying to seem... Like, this guy was a potential suspect, so his friend could report him as a potential suspect and and, and um, claim the reward money. And then they were going to split the reward money. Oh. Yeah. So he was, like, trying to make himself yeah. look. And somebody came forward and was like, no, he never, like, somebody from the school was like, no, he never wrote an essay like that. Weird. Um, in 2010, a knife with a six-inch blade was found buried in, Buried? Buried. That was odd. Buried. Uh, It was found buried in a wasteland in Dalkeith, and it had the name Luke engraved on the handle. Uh Uh-oh. But DNA evidence proved inconclusive. Oh. Inconclusive. Yeah. So that would have been circumstantial evidence. All that to say, um, he stands adamantly that he is innocent and is fighting appeals. And there's a change.org petition going around really? for his release now. Although Scotland's like, we don't give a f- about change.org. Like, that's that ain't going to sway us. Right. So um, the family is, like, really, really freaking pissed off that he keeps getting all this media attention. And is being, yeah, yeah. And being allowed to, like, basically go on and on about his innocence and do all these interviews and documentaries and everything like that. They're just fed up with it. But he is still in prison to this day. And that is essentially what I got for Jody Jones and Luke Mitchell. So what's, uh, what's more about the media? So I know they, they thought the family was weird. So did they just keep them in the spotlight kind of so thing? So uh, Luke at one point said during his little vigil, whatever thing he was doing, that he felt like he was uh, subject to trial by media. And one of the appeals that he ended up filing later on is that he didn't feel like he got a fair trial because of the media coverage. Like, he was in the news every single day. Yeah. And... I mean, brutal murder, 14-year-old. Right. Another 14-year-old. And he's like, there's no way that there's not a tainted jury. In fact, during the trial, the prosecutor and even the defense asked the jury to forget everything that they'd heard in the news. Forget everything that you've read up into this point. And so what he's saying is like, there is no way for me to have a a fair trial because the jury pool was tainted. I should be due a trial somewhere else. Right. Um, It ended up not mattering. And he's still, I don't remember if he ended up getting a new trial with a new jury or if they denied his request, but either way he didn't end up being released and he didn't win that. Um, but there was so much media coverage and it was like, um, the boyfriend did it and the boyfriend and the mom are hooking up and the boyfriend, you know, it's a satanic murder and everything like that. It was all like, I mean, up until he even went to trial, like basically a whole year and a half or so, it's just nonstop, like. He did it. He did it. This guy did it. Like, he's satanic, and he is a devil worshiper, and it's, uh, like, he was super into Marilyn Manson, and he was super into Black Dahlia, so obviously he had to do it, and this is a copycat, and blah, 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 and so by the time he went to trial, he didn't stand a chance. Yeah. And so, like, what it came down to is, ultimately, the media's influence and the circumstantial evidence 
right. was apparently enough to convict him. It sounds like the media took on the, he's who did it, let's figure out and look into him. And it was never like a whodunit type of no, thing. No, it was 100% like, we know who did it, and this is all the reasons why. Oh, man. I mean, no one deserves that. And I'm not saying he did or didn't. The circumstantial stuff is pretty... I mean, what is there? A missing knife. A missing, a missing knife. coat. A missing coat. He was supposed to meet her there, so the timeline's kind of iffy. No alibi. No alibi. Um, possible Him saying something. I wouldn't even, like, say the incinerator is a possibility, because they found nothing in the incinerator that made that could prove that any clothing had been burned. Right. But him saying to that kid that he knew how to slice somebody's throat open... Um, the Black Dahlia, it's like a stretch, but it's weird that her face the had the, face cut, had the yeah. same cut. But only on one side. Yeah. It's one side of her face. So. Poor girl, 14. I mean, you know how I feel about people being convicted based on circumstantial evidence. <laughs> yeah, Scott that one's Peterson. a weird one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, the, the more I read about it, there was so much back and forth about it. And I'll be honest, like. It wasn't a super ideal case to research because I just felt like there wasn't a lot of information about there. First of all, who she even was outside of the murders. But there's so much, like, conflicting information. Like, the dog is a tracking dog. And then it was like, no, it's not a tracking dog. It's just a German Shepherd. And then it was like, there was some kid that came forward that had scratches on his face and had written this essay. And another resource that was like, yeah, all that's true. But then somebody came forward and said, like, the essay never happened. And they were just in for it for the yeah. money. And so, like, every single source had conflicting information but like the same information just like different details so I still don't feel like I have a very clear picture of what happened and then they had these documentaries that came out that then were like blasted as being biased and they're like oh it only shows one side of the case like you don't really get to see the other side so then you go into this article that's like the 10 things that these documentaries didn't show you and it's like oh my gosh so based on that it's like I don't know what to believe, but well, that's enough for me to go, he shouldn't have been convicted. Any circum any case that's done on circumstantial leaves that little bit of doubt. Like, is it? Like, is and that that's, enough? But that's the whole, and again, this is the US that's coming into play here in me, because I don't know if this is true in Scotland. I'm thinking it's not, because I am having flashbacks, although I know that this is like different, but I remember when Amanda Knox went on trial in Italy, the way they did it was it wasn't that you were proved guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. It was... You have to be proved innocent, right? You have to be proven innocent. Like, it's weird. Um, to oh, me, it feels it weird up. just because that's not how we do things. Yeah. Um, that's not what we're familiar with. But, no, the, that Italian trial was incredible to see it play out. Like, the way that they... Um, yeah, it was system. almost like both sides were responsible in that case for the burden of proof. Right. Um, so, so Scotland has guilty, not guilty, you're innocent until proven. An accused person, yeah, so in Scotland it's guilty until, or it's innocent until proven guilty. Um, and the accused is not required to prove their innocence the prosecutor is required to prove guilt. Um, but I don't know about the beyond a reasonable doubt thing. Yeah, that's bizarre. But it, regardless, just like 
a case that's done on circumstantial is all, always very unique because there's not a single thing that's a physical evidence that's tying him to the scene. Right. Well, yeah, well, no. Well, the fact that he knew about the scrunchies a little weird. Yeah, and he was able to tell them. And he argued, well, I saw her. Like, I saw the body. And it's like, but everything was scattered about and, like, she was disheveled and everything like that. So the fact that he yeah. kind of perfectly described <clears throat> what she was wearing. That's weird. Was odd. Yeah. I like to know more about the clothes, though, and the DNA on the clothes. Yeah. But it sounds like everything that's out there, all the materials are... Vague. Either vague or focusing on how he, here's exactly. how he did it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, like, oh, the, the documentary that I saw was, like, the DNA profile matched the sister's boyfriend, but it didn't go into details as far as what that DNA profile was and where it came from or anything like that. So, the satanic aspect of it, it's nothing of the actual murder that feels like it was a no. sacrifice, like, candles no. or no. So signs or signals or anything. No, it's satanic okay. panic. It's, like... Yeah. They wear black clothes and they have stringy hair and they write 666 yep. and Satan on their folders and therefore they are devil wishers. And right. it's like, nah, that's not what that but is. But nothing at the scene actually no. said that. Okay. Yeah. So it was just, again, the media probably yeah. saying that because of the way simply that he dressed and the music exactly. that he liked. Okay. Oh, media, media, media. And it's, and during that time with like, being interested in Marilyn Manson and, like, the gothic stuff and everything like that, it is, like, it, it's not in the same time period as Satanic Panic, but it is the same undertones of that kind of thing. Oh, where sure. It's like... Older generations are never going to understand younger generations, right. and at that point, they're just listening to music, and that's the music that right. was in. And it fit the narrative. Right, and exactly. so they were so. like, he's into dark things and therefore capable of murder. I mean, around that time, I remember going to age myself, first of all. But um, I had a friend who would listen to, like, ICP and Linkin Park and Marilyn Manson and Nine Inch Nails and, like, all those songs. <laughs> and, yeah, they, you know, big old, big old parachute-type pants with safety clips all over them and rips and, you know, riding on your shoes and on the, on the shell toes. <laughs> I've said this before, but nothing, nothing gives me... The heebie-jeebies, like, having to even look at Marilyn Manson. I oh, have to yeah. look at pictures of him, and I'm like, huh? Like, it That's funny. makes me, like, That's I have funny, a physical but... reaction to it, and so yeah. I, like, don't understand how people are, like, love Marilyn Manson. And that's even yeah. prior to all the accusations that came out after, like, Evan Rachel Wood and all right. that kind of stuff. Like, that's even prior to that that I had that feeling with him. Like, I literally can't even stand to look at him. I feel like him, how people feel about, like, when they have phobias of snakes and they don't want to even want to look at pictures <laughs> of snakes. That's the feeling I get looking I'm gonna at I'm going to take Manson. you to Maury so they can bring out. <laughs> oh my god I would literally lose it I couldn't be in the same room as him it makes me so uncomfortable no, I couldn't that's do funny. it I remember my friend's room was like I mean at that age we were in the super like rooms were covered in posters age so yeah. I remember all the posters and specifically like Marilyn Manson posters they oh. were like the one where he's wearing the all white where you can't tell a gender on him kind of thing she so, would sleep with a poster of Marilyn Manson oh it was Manson a guy but yes. He would sleep with a poster of Marilyn Manson. Oh, I mean, Manson in his, his room was covered in posters. Like, that was the thing. Like, I had an Usher poster. I also had a Mia Ham poster, though. I could sleep with <laughs> Usher in my room, Mia yeah. Ham, all those people. <laughs> Marilyn Manson is a thing of my yeah. nightmares. Yeah. And Truly. that was like a black light era. Oh my God, I'm having flashes of like 
what my Did life you put, used like, to be. Like little like neon stars, the sticker no, stars. Up? I never knew that those were activated by sun. So no, I never had those. Hilarious. Yeah. So any hoozle, maybe we'll put some Marilyn Manson. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Although I have put him up on the Instagram before because when the accusations came sure. out, I kind of covered him a little bit, but it went against every fiber of my being to have to look at pictures of him. It was so <laughs> gross. Yeah. I hate him so much. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it just, it takes me back to that time of like exactly that time era, like 2003 to 2000, you know, well, actually like 2001 to 2005. And, you know, having friends that like that kind of stuff of I can I remember like parents not understanding or thinking that they would you know do satanic type of stuff and I'm like really it's just music yeah you know and never would I think oh this person will kill someone because they listen to or that they're actually into the devil right yeah right so but it's weird that the media and just, you know, an older, obviously the media at that point would have been managed by an older generation that they just ran with that idea of yeah. this is what it is. So it makes for good, like, oh, it, for sure. It makes for great TV, great headlines, great TV. It's a good um, clickbait. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Good story. Anyway. Thanks, Gavin. Thanks. And I'm really sorry if I didn't do it justice, but. I'm on crunch time. I'm sorry. (laughs) I was like, the whole time I was like, I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail at doing this. (laughs) No, you did great. It's a good episode. Like you said, there's, it's circumstantial. So it's not like, oh, they found, you know, his. Yeah. I walked away from it. I was like, I don't know if he did it or not. I kept going back and forth. I was like, oh, he did it. And then I was like, no, I don't think he did it. And then I was like, oh, no, 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 He had to do it. The cool thing is weird because it's like the witness says he did see someone. And he said it was this coat. And then everybody was like, yeah, he has that coat. I know exactly what coat that is. And he was like, I don't know what happened to it. And then mom goes out and buys him a new one. Yeah. It's not like you're a five-year-old at kindergarten. Like, suspect. You don't leave your coat anywhere. Yeah. That's like, there's a case going on right now that somebody just messaged me about. Who was that? Somebody just messaged our Instagram about this, where the mom was caught on their home security cameras, like washing her son's clothing or whatever, after supposedly he murdered somebody. What? And like literally like running to go get his clothes and like coming back downstairs. Oh, mom. All right, cool. Okay. I think we're good. All righty. Thanks for the episode. Bye. 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 Thank you.